A year ago, we started a series uh, on forward vision that lasted several months. And as we start the fall, I don't want to spend uh, months on the same themes because of the length of that series. That was a long series. And we are kind of defaulting to Corinthians when we don't have vacations and other things going on. But I do want to, over the next two or three weeks, I want to talk a little bit about our local church and where I think God may be taking us. A few weeks ago, I let some of you know that I had a sense This has really never happened to me before, but I had a sense that perhaps God had given me a very specific word for our church. This was, uh, we were praying together on a Tuesday night. We were worshiping, and um, I remember, I think Jared was leading, and, and I just had a, whoa, like an experience. You know, I had this whoosh, this sense of a washing over me, and suddenly I had this word, this sentence come into my head, and, and it really was this, get your house ready. <laughs> Okay, am I going to heaven? Am I dying? Get your affairs in order. It kind of sounds good. But, but as I thought about what God was saying to me, I felt like what the Lord was saying was, get your house ready. And this is what I, what I understood to be the meaning of this word that I thought maybe I was getting from the Lord prophetically. Get your house ready for the people I want to bring to it by paying closer attention to the people in it. Get your house ready for the people I want to bring to it by paying closer attention to the people in it. And I had a sense that if this was from the Lord, then it was for all of us and not just me. Um, before I go too far down this road, though, I want to talk, hopefully as brief as I can, about how we should respond when anyone, including me, says they may have a word from the Lord. The words of God, then the first point I want to make is this. The words, the word of God in scripture is the authority over any and all other words, visions, dreams, prophecies, senses, burdens that anyone might receive. That's, that's what I believe the Bible teaches and that's the way I believe we need to operate as a church. We trust in what, he, what, what the book of Hebrews calls or what the book of Jude calls the word of God, the faith once and for all once and for all, delivered to the saints. That's what Jude tells us, that the revelation of Jesus Christ is once and for all been given to us through the apostolic testimony until he comes again. In the context, for instance, of warning Timothy about deceivers and false teachers, Paul tells his steward, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may complete, equipped for every good work. The apostles who wrote the New Testament, <clears throat> I believe the Bible teaches, had a unique and authoritative commission and ministry from Jesus which cannot be repeated. Our Lord called them to be his witnesses because he said, you have been with me from the beginning. It was important that Jesus had ambassadors who had really seen him, who had really walked with him, who had really heard them with their own ears, seen, them with their, seen him with their own eyes, and especially had been witnesses of his resurrection. It was that particular experience with Jesus Christ in his incarnation as a man on earth that uniquely qualified the apostles to be apostles. Capital A Apostles. You might be from churches that have apostolic teams. That was part of our tradition when we were in Sovereign Grace Ministry. As far as I know, those men never claimed to be capital A Apostles who had authority to write scripture and had seen the risen Lord. You know, the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, they have apostolic traditions where they have bishops and overseers over several churches. That's, that, that can be fine. And, and if you're in a church that has an apostolic team or an apostolic ministry, that can be fine. What we're talking about here is the fact that God chose specific men to witness to his resurrection from the dead, to fill with the Holy Spirit, and to write the testimony that we call the Bible in the New Testament. And that is what, what is authoritative over everything else that we do. John testifies to this when he writes to the church in 1 John, and he's trying to explain to them why they can believe what he's saying to them. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands, have touched. Touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. In John 17, 20, Jesus separates the entire church. Listen to this. This is really informative. 
Jesus separates the entire church for however long he's going to be in the body away from the entire church into two groups in his priestly prayer. And those two groups are the original eyewitness disciples who were with Jesus that night and the rest of us. The millions and billions, hopefully, of people thereafter who Jesus said would, quote, believe in me because of their word. We'll see that more clearly later on. Paul, who saw Jesus after he rose from the grave, when Jesus appeared to him after he'd ascended, defended and defined his apostleship on the grounds that he, like the other apostles, had seen the risen Lord. And he called himself, quote, in in 1 Corinthians 15, he calls himself untimely born, indicating that he was the last born apostle. He says, quote, last of all, then he, we'll, we'll see it right up there. Then he appeared to James, this is Jesus in his resurrection body, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He did call himself an apostle, but he says, last of all, he appeared to me of all the apostles indicating that Paul was the last apostle. Folks, this is why we preach the Bible every week. This is why I don't preach to you every week from visions and dreams and prophecies that occur in my heart and burdens that I have, unfettered from the word of God. It's the word of God delivered to us by men. It is delivered to us by apostles, but it is that word that is the primary and authoritative source of truth about Jesus Christ. That's what the church has been proclaiming for 20 years. When you guys come to church, when most Christians come to church on Sunday mornings, who do they hear from, hopefully? The apostles. They hear from John, Mark, Luke. They hear from James. They hear from Peter. That's not an accident that we get up in the morning and we talk to you about what Paul said. That's, you ever think about that? We've been doing that for 2,000 years. We've been listening to those apostles. It's a beautiful thing, but it's what Jesus meant to happen. That's why he prayed for all who will believe because of their testimony. Isn't that amazing? His prayers answered for 2,000 years. We've been listening to their testimony and be, be, we have been given faith through that. Yes, the Holy Spirit must open our eyes. He must cause us to see and believe the word. But we're called to put ourselves in front of their words so that the Holy Spirit can do that. But Paul said, I'm going all over the world preaching the message of the cross that I have been revealed, that I, has been revealed to me by Jesus Christ so that people might believe. They can't believe without that preaching. That's why Mike Christ is going to Zambia. <laughs> That's why we prayed for Afghanistan and Kabul last week through Jim's persecuted church testimony. That's why you guys go on the streets and talk to people who don't know Jesus or at work. But an implication of this authoritative word of the apostles is that any prophecy or word or burden or vision or dream that that you and I have that contradicts either in principle or in practice the written word of God from those apostles, it needs to be dismissed on the authority of the apostolic witness in scripture. One of my favorite demonstrations of this in scripture, of this unrepeatable authority of the apostles occurs in 1 Corinthians 14. I love this, where Paul After giving directions to the church on how they need to conduct themselves in their worship gathering, he expresses and asserts his unique apostolic authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ, capital A, when he says this. He's told them all these things that that need to be in shape for their worship gathering. And then he says, and he's also dealing with some contentious issues. Like they're doing some things he doesn't think is right. And and at the end of his directions, he stops and he says, or was it from you that the word of God came? He's being rhetorical. (laughs) Or was it from you that the word word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, that is the Apostle Paul humbly before God but unashamedly pulling out his apostolic A card and saying, Jesus has given me authority to tell you what's up. And that's authority I don't have. 
except when I give it to you from his word, which you can give it right back to me when you see me not walking right. Paul is saying, do you think that you guys got the word of God yourselves? Like, did it originate with you? Is that how you heard about Jesus? Did he appear to you in a vision and reveal his gospel to you? He's saying no. But implicit in here is, but he did that to me. Paul is saying, are you the only ones it has reached? As if you're the containers of God's holy word and holy message and the truth of what needs to be. He's saying no. But it's sourced in me from Jesus Christ. And that's why he then says, if anybody in your church thinks that they're prophesying well or they're hearing spiritual things well, let them agree to submit to what I'm saying. Let them agree to be under my authority or else don't recognize it. Do you see that? That's why we preach the Bible. It's the word of God from the apostolic witness. It's a beautiful thing. It's an incredibly protective thing. Churches die for a lot of reasons, but one of the means by which they die, even if this is not the key reason, is that they stop believing God's word. They stop being ruled by its authority. And they create their own authority through their own ideas about what the truth is. And they twist the scriptures. But listen, listen to what Paul says in the very next sentence, with his very next breath, so to speak. Listen to what he says before we throw out the baby with the bathwater. Listen to what this apostolic authority guy says. Next verse, verse 39. So my brothers and sisters, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Isn't that amazing? The irony we are left with and the problem for those who believe that the gifts of prophecy and other miraculous spiritual gifts, healings and miracles have ceased is that the very word of God given to us by the apostles that is authoritative, it commends prophecy. It commends visions. It commends miracles. It commends healings. Which brings me to another point I need to make this morning. We must be careful not to dismiss and despise communications that brothers and sisters bring to us that they believe may be from God for our good. In Acts 2, the Apostle Peter tells those watching the miracle of Pentecost when the huge wind blew and the fire flames fell on the apostles' head and they all spoke in languages that everybody who had different backgrounds, they understood what they were saying. There was this amazing miracle of communication. Peter tells them what's going on. They think they're drunk and Peter says they're not drunk. He says, this is what's going on. Peter says, this is the final phase of redemption before Christ comes to establish God's kingdom fully on earth. He says, we are now living in the final phase of redemption before the second coming when the kingdom will be fully established on earth. And he says it this way. He quotes Joel 2. And here's what he says about the age that we're living in now. He quotes Joel 2. He says, this is what this is, literally. This is what all that you see going on is. This is, quote, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And so Paul follows this very posture in his commandments to the Corinthians that we've talked about here when he says, eagerly, be zealous, with great desire, want prophecy, want words to bring to each other from God's heart, to comfort each other, to build each other up, to encourage each other, to exhort each other. Want them, want them badly. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 14. So you can love one another with the very love of God spoken from your heart to theirs. He says want it so badly he uses the word zealously and I believe that's the same word that refers to how Jesus prayed in Gethsemane when he sweated drops of blood. In 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, hopefully we'll get to those chapters in the, in the next few months, Paul explains that this kind of gift, prophecy, along with the other gifts are needed, not just optional. They are gifts from God himself who knows the church needs these gifts. Essentially, Paul says, the eye and the hand don't need you. But what he's saying in the context is, the one with the gift of teaching, 
cannot say to the one with the gift of prophecy, I don't need you. And he's saying the one with the gift of prophecy cannot say to the theologian teacher who studied hard, I don't need you. And, and I think that's where a lot of churches have some problems. I think that is happening in, in the, the, the Christian world today. There is a division between, between those who are more apt to be open to and embrace the charismatic gifts, prophecies, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, these, these miraculous things that occur in our hearts. And there's a division between them and those who are given to want to study very, very hard and diligently the word of God, which the word of God commands us to do. So you end up with cessationists and you end up with charismatics and they argue and they fight. And, but praise God, a lot of them love each other and work together <laughs> to, to not throw out babies with bathwaters. And that's a great heartbeat I have for our church that we would be that kind of church. We need to live in the tensions of desiring and receiving prophecy and other manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But we need to live in the tension of doing all of this without failing to examine and test what is brought to us through the Holy Scriptures. Paul explains it plainly in 1 Titus 5, or in Titus, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5. He says there, do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. As I've considered this sense of a burden from God, I've sought to consider it in light of Scripture, this sense that I had a few weeks ago on that Tuesday night. And I believe that I can offer to you that what God may be laying on my heart, I believe, is in line with what his word says Put it another way, I see in God's authoritative word that I and we are called to the same principle that's expressed in the word I sense. And so I want to jump from the slippery rock of my prophetic sense and, and plant us this morning with the help of that sense. I want to plant us on the firm rock of his holy word. And then I want to ask us to consider how what he says in his word may apply to us right now. Does, does that make sense? So the slippery rock of my prophetic sense was that God is particularly, specifically calling this church to more carefully love and to more carefully care for each other. For it is his intention to bring others to our church family that are outside of it. And he wants us, he wants us through the exercise of loving each other with more care to be ready for those outside that he wants to bring to us. That was my burden. And, and having laid that out, I want to try to help us locate this principle because I think it's a biblical principle of God calling us to love one another with a view towards increasing his family. I, I want to help us locate this principle of God calling us to love one another with a view towards increasing his family. Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> so I want to start with John 17. That was the longest introduction I've ever probably given in a sermon. It was really half a sermon. I, I pray to God this will not, um, yeah. So John 17. There we find in John 17, the Lord is praying for his disciples. And, and this chapter, John 17, it is worthy of a sermon series. It is worthy of books. This prayer of Jesus, Jesus talking to his father for a whole chapter. It's incredible. But for the person today, I want to focus on a small portion in the middle of the prayer. And there we hear our Lord pray these words for the disciples. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. By name, Jesus means all the character and the heart of God. Keep them in your character. Keep them pursuing you. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them from the, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, 
so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus is asking the Father to protect the disciples as he sends them out on mission. And just as we alluded to earlier, he has given the very words of God to them to take to the world. Even though his heart, Jesus' heart, and God's heart is to save the world through their mission, he knows the truth will be rejected by many and these disciples will be hated by many. And so he asks that they be spiritually protected in this mission that they be able to love each other and be unified with each other because they are going to get hit hard and they're going to need to show that they're very special because of who God is in them. And so the focus of this protection is oneness. The protection is unity in love and in truth. From the larger character of this whole section in John, this, what's called this upper room discourse, I think we can safely say that this oneness is particularly a oneness in truth about Jesus, the revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ, all being one about that, and that that oneness would produce this sacrificial love as they come around Jesus to be his disciples and say, we're committed to you, give us our orders. And he says, love one another. That's the oneness, this love in truth about Jesus and this love for one another that comes from Jesus to love each other even as he has loved them. But listen, listen to this next verse. It's as if he's on mission with them. As they meet the world that he is sending them to, Jesus briefly changes, you know, in his mind's prayer, they're going out on mission, they're gonna meet the outside world, and you see Jesus briefly change the focus of his prayer away strictly from the disciples, and he turns it to you and to me. He doesn't stop praying for them, so to speak, but for a moment, he stops praying for them, and he prays for you. He prays for you. Listen to what he says. I do not ask, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? That's us. And that's what I meant when in this prayer, Jesus divides the whole group of his Christians between these guys and the billion rest of us, we hope. Billions, we hope. I do not ask for these only, these disciples with me, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, their testimony. They're the ones who are seeing me in the flesh, risen from the grave. They're the ones who are gonna go out into the whole world. They're gonna die for me, saying, I saw Jesus risen from the grave. He is the Lord. And that will create, through the Holy Spirit, A world turns upside down with the gospel. Generation after generation after generation of people believing their testimony and through faith being made new creatures in Christ, saved from hell, saved for heaven. So Jesus says, I ask for those who will believe in me through their word. Let's go back to that, Logan. Verse 21, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me and loved them. That's all of us. That that the world might believe that Jesus loves us even as the Father loves him. Do Do you see what Jesus does here? Watch this pattern, this sort of cycle. First, Jesus is sent by the Father The Father who is one with him in truth and in love. And the result is that he draws the disciples. First, Jesus is sent by the Father who he is one with in truth and love. And the result is that he draws the disciples. Secondly, he sends the disciples who become one in Christ in truth and love. And they draw those who will believe in me through their word. And then, those people, including you and I, who are brought to faith by the unified witness of the disciples, become one in truth and in love. And they, in turn, further lead the world to believe that Jesus was sent by God. Jesus is sent by the Father. And he sends the disciples. The disciples testify to us about Jesus. And then our oneness leads to 
the conversion of the world. In, in some way that Jesus does not parse out specifically here, the oneness in love and in truth of his people convinces the world that Jesus really has been sent by God. And there's another place where Jesus says something very similar that's worth considering. It's John 13 through 35. He says in verse, oh, go back up here. Um, no, you were right, little children. I'm sorry, Logan, thank you. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see the pattern again. Jesus loved the disciples. The disciples love one another. This love convinces the world they really belong to Jesus. Do you see it? It's that cycle. And, and this time their love is colored out a little bit more. It's a love that is like Jesus' love. It's a love that is specifically Jesus' kind of love. The love that lays down its life. Or if, if we drag John 17, that earlier thing we were looking at, if, if we bring it in here, it's the kind of love that will lead the world to believe. It's so true. It will lead the world to believe that you have, that God has sent Jesus and that God loves his people even as he loved Jesus. So, so our, <laughs> try to follow me through the, the mucky of my preaching here right now. Our oneness in love and in truth will not only convince people that we are Jesus' disciples and that God sent Jesus, but it will convince the world that we are loved by God even as God loves Jesus. So now we're starting to see that this, this kind of oneness in love and in truth that Jesus is talking about it must be supernatural. Like, it, this, is, this must be a supernatural love. One writer puts it this way. This is the, the, the threshold, the, the kind of level of love Jesus is talking about here. The church is to be the embodiment of the revelation and redemption of Christ before the world. Listen, listen. So that the world may not only hear that Jesus is the Christ, who has achieved redemption for all, but they may see that the redemptive revelation of Christ has power to transform fallen men and women into the likeness of God and to bring about that kind of community the world needs. People through the church not only are supposed to hear about Jesus, but they're supposed to be able to see that that revelation of Jesus has the power to transform fallen men and women into the likeness of God. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? He's saying the church isn't supposed to be a place where people simply hear the word of God. They experience God's transforming power. The power of that word to transform in the way they see the church treating each other in the church and the way they feel the church treat them. They're supposed to come in and say, holy goodness, <laughs> This is a loving place. You people really love each other. And man, crud, I am feeling that love. I'm not used to this. That's how they're supposed to feel when they come to the church. That's how you're supposed to feel, at least sometimes. <laughs> the church is to be of such a supernatural nature of love that it makes people believe Jesus is real and we're loved by that Jesus and we're loved by his father. How do we do that then? How do we do that? Okay, everybody go home and do that. I remember my first taste of this kind of godly, heavenly source, supernatural love. I remember my first taste of it, like real taste of it. I, I, I saw the edges of it when I was growing up as I encountered different kids who I believe knew Jesus. And in that, those days, it, it, was, it was intriguing and I could tell some part of me wanted it, but a, most of me just wanted to get away from it because they were weird nerds. But, but as I, I got older, God had to do a lot of work in my heart to make me ready for that. I, I grew up as a kid with terrible, and I, I know some of you guys know this, so bear with me, but I grew up as a kid with terrible, terrible, strange, fantastical fears 
about the end of the world, from the time I was eight years old to the time I was 20, about the, the end of the world and the Antichrist, I was obsessed about these things, truly. I was obsessed about it. I was obsessed if maybe I was the Antichrist. I could not stop thinking about this thing all the time from eight years old to 20-ish, all the time. And I couldn't tell anybody about it. I was so ashamed. And I would be so ashamed if people knew. I knew who kids were. I knew who I was. I was a jerk. I mean, I wasn't just a victim. I didn't understand it until later, but I was also a real jerk. And I knew who I was. And I knew that's who kids were too. And I knew people would laugh at me and mock me and that the world would devalue me and dismiss me. And I knew I could tell my parents because I knew they loved me with all they had. But I couldn't tell anybody outside of them. I couldn't even tell my siblings. I would be shunned and abandoned. I knew that. So I lived in this really weird place. I mean, I played it cool on the outside. I was in rock bands. I played sports. I, you know, I ran for class office. But inside, I was such a mess. Such a mess. But one day, God saved the bass player in my rock band. (laughs) And he was away at college. I was still home. And God saved him through Campus Crusade. And I saw his love for Jesus. And I saw quickly that he didn't care what the world thought. That he was going after Jesus. And I knew enough about Jesus to know Jesus was a good God. I'd grown up going to Mass and heard the Gospels, and I believed Jesus was good. I just didn't feel like I could get him and stay with him. But, but through this friend, I saw Jesus' transforming power in a life. I saw that Jesus really could transform and change. And then I saw how this guy loved me. I just, I knew he loved me. And somehow I knew I could tell him who I was inside, the dark stuff, and that he would still be the same friend to me that he was a few moments before I told him. I knew that he wasn't who he used to be. And so I told him all my junk. And you know what? He wasn't who he used to be. He just walked and talked and told me his own fears, his own hidden things, his own shame, his own dark stories. Something supernatural had happened to him and my sharing the ugliest parts of me it only drew us closer. And he truly loved me. He spent time with me. He became a safe place to me. Months and months and months turned into years and years and years. And what I saw happen to him convinced me that Jesus was real and made me want him so badly. And after I came to Christ, he continued to disciple me. He wrote me tons of letters. We were at different colleges. He talked with me, invited me to stay with him. I saw his campus community. I saw his Christian college group singing and loving and laughing and living their lives together around Jesus. It dispelled a lot of my preconceptions about what it meant to be purely Christian. I I thought you had to live, you know, basically be a monk and live in the desert. However, you translate that into 1993 America. I I, I thought that's what, you know, you just had to hate everything fun. (laughs) You know, no more music, no more fun movies. I mean, you know, I, I know there are some movies that I, I knew were, but we still watched Star Wars. We still listened to The Police. You, you know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I was like, wow. And, and maybe for some of you guys, you can't. You know, you can't watch Star Wars without worshiping Obi-Wan and praying for the Force. But like, <laughs> but there was so much different about him. It was so beautiful. You know, he just. I, 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 and I knew it wasn't all perfect and it wasn't all wonderful. It, and I know it's still not perfect. It's still not wonderful. Like, like I, you know, I, I tell you that story about my time at the beach and I'm scared of what some of you guys might do with that. You know, I, I, I didn't go crazy. And, you know, I, I don't want you to take it out of control, you know, but I also feel like I want to, be real with you guys and share my life with you guys. And 
but I also don't want you guys to be doormats, you know? And, and let's let each other just run havoc licentiously with God's truth and his word and not call each other, including your pastor, to account. I don't want that. I want the real community that you guys want. And, and, and I tasted that in this friendship so quickly. But my point is really that that kind of love, folks, it is supernatural. It is supernatural. It, it is supernatural to be able to persevere and steadfastly, even struggling imperfectly, it is supernatural to be patient and to be kind. It is supernatural to have your life marked by a lack of envy or boasting. It is supernatural to consistently strive after and produce a heart that is not arrogant or rude. It is supernatural to be able to persist in displaying a heart that fights to, to not insist on its own way. It is supernatural to know that you're called to not be irritable or resentful and to ask God continually for grace and mercy to turn from that so that you do turn from that. It is supernatural to not rejoice at wrongdoing, but to rejoice at the truth. It is supernatural to bear all things, to believe the best that you can about all things, to hope all things. It is supernatural to endure all things. It is supernatural to have a love that never ends. And, and let me say something else about the oneness, the love, the care that God means for us to have that draws others to him. It must really be a love for each other, not a means to love theoretically the outsiders who aren't here yet. <laughs> you know, try to explain what I'm trying to mean here. And I think I might be preaching to the inner choir here because I think this is something leadership can relate to more. I read an amazing article in Christianity Today. If any of you guys want to see this article, I love it. I just, I sent it to some of my pastor buddies this week. It's about a pastor, he, he's writing very humbly, who gave up on his vision to have an amazing church because it was just that vision that led him to be dissatisfied with the church he had. He gave up on his vision to have this amazing church because that vision that he'd created, it led him to be dissatisfied with the church he had. Loving the church for him, loving the people in the church for him was a means to another end, the end of getting a greater church than the one he had. The members he had were a means to a better future, a bigger church, a more mature church, a smarter church, you name it. But those people were to him tools. They were not the object of his love. They were the means, essentially, to love himself and the future he wanted. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, talks about the person who comes to a church not to love it for what it is, but for what their vision for what it could be is. And that, that, that's what predominates. He says this, he who loves his dream of a community more, listen, it doesn't mean we shouldn't have dreams and hopes. It's about more. He says, he who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. He's saying the person who comes to a church with, with a dream for it <clears throat> that he loves more than the people in it begins to destroy that church. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> and so I think it is a dangerous thing, especially for ministry leaders like me, to dream of what the church might be one day. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I'm saying it is a dangerous thing because it is the exact, because holding onto that dream more than what God has given us right here, that is exactly the opposite of the kind of love that will actually build the church that you want it to be. That is exactly the opposite of the kind of love Jesus is calling us to have for one another. And in, in no, in Jesus' command for our oneness is a call to actually truly love one another, not simply go through the motions so that other people might find out about this cool, great church and we might get a cooler, greater church or a bigger church. You can't fake this thing, in other words. 
And notice in John 13, 35, even as Jesus says that by this all men will know you're my disciples, that that all men knowing, it's a byproduct of actual real love. And so in Jesus' evangelism plan, we do the loving of one another and God does the drawing. Where's Rob? Rob Kelly. Rob, I, we talked about this this morning in text, so to speak. We love each other. God draws people to us who see that real love. We focus, as we focus on really, truly, really pushing into caring for each other and loving each other, God draws people into that community. We don't leave that behind and go and try to start programs and block parties and get people to come here when it's just hollow inside, right? See, in Jesus' evangelism plan, it's, it's a lot different. Francis Chan writes it like this. He says, <clears throat> now there's qualifications here. Francis doesn't see all this here, but sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm critiquing Francis Chan. <laughs> you know, I mean, <clears throat> but, but he says this. I like what he says here. We have come up with church, we have come up with countless strategies to reach the lost when God promises that unity is the method that will work. We have come up with countless strategies to reach the lost when God promises that unity is the method that will work. Think about that. God gave us instructions on how to reach the world, yet we abandon the one set of instructions he gave us even as we scramble to create classes and programs and events that promote everything but the strategy God gave us. And what's the strategy for reaching the world in John 17 and John 13? Loving each other. Loving each other. Now, Francis fails to mention that that same Jesus, who's telling the disciples to love each other, was also that night commanding them to go into all the world <laughs> and preach the gospel. So, so I, I, I don't mean to imply that we don't do programs or do Dorcas or do street soul fishing. You know, I, that's not what I'm saying here. <clears throat> But I'm saying that at the end of the day, whether or not I heard a word from the Lord for us to love each other better so that we would be prepared for those he wants to bring to us is really not the issue. What is the issue is that he wants us to love each other more deeply. And, and then he can decide who to bring to us and when to bring them. And if he chooses not to, then we have still obeyed and he will be pleased. Now, if we focus on evangelism and outreach and yet our love for each other is superficial or lukewarm, then whoever is drawn in, it, it will very likely, I think according to scripture here, we, will, we should be very careful to assume that they're being drawn by the Holy Spirit. They may be being drawn by our cool programs or our polished materials or our production, I don't know, but... But Jesus says it's the love that we have for one another that will truly be a genuine means of him drawing them into our community. He, he seeks to work through, he wants to work through real love for one another, real unity. And if that is really being built and that is really here, then when folks do walk in our doors of our church, there is a real floor beneath their feet. There is a real home. There is a real family here. It's not just a facade. So, so if, if this is God's design, how, how do we get there? Well, number one, I want to say uh, to some greater and larger degrees in different experiences that you have in different levels of walking with Jesus, that is happening here. That is happening here. And I hear about that and I see that and I experience that. So I want to be really careful. Some people this morning may not need to hear, like, you need to love each other better. You know, they may need just to get, like, I know, I think, at least a couple of people who probably need to just like get some IV of love drip in them. <laughs> like they need care, you know? Like what John and Deb have been going through. Um, you know, some of you guys. But, but, but for all of us, it's, it's always a temptation. It's always a temptation to resist that call to love. So I, I'm just gonna offer three categories of, of application this morning. I, and I have a lot to say about, you know, we've been talking, Mike and Jim, and um, I've talked to Jared about this. I've talked to John Coleman about this. I've talked to Ryan and, I, 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 and my wife. You know, I am thinking, and Kim, I'm thinking about 
I do care about methodology. Like, methodology is important. You, care groups, this thing called triads, I'm hoping that next week I'll be able to specifically start to really put some meat around the bones of, of methodological approaches to how we can help each other love each other better. But I want to be really careful with that. I want to be really careful to demand something of you implicitly that the Bible doesn't put on you. It, your loving each other must have this particular form. You know, there's a reason why I was talking to Lori about it this week. I, I don't ever feel comfortable telling someone you need to have 45 minutes every day of prayer in the Word. That's, to a large degree, that's between you and your Father to work that out. Your devotion to Jesus and his people is to some degree an issue of your conscience before the, the Lord. There are general principles I can tell you, like let the word dwell in you richly. Pray without ceasing. We should search those things out to understand how they make sense for us in our own lives. But I can't, I, I'm very uncomfortable telling you, you have to be in this thing and do this thing this way. I think that creates a lot more work for leadership teams and it sets you guys up and sets us up to put the focus on structures and programs instead of the Holy Spirit. So I want to be careful about that, even as we talk about handles and structures that can be helpful. These are going to be optional things. But, but here's some non-optional things from Scripture in general. <laughs> but th they may not be what God is putting his finger on your heart. But let me offer you some things to consider as you guys and I seek to try to step into what might it mean to love each other better. First of all, consider repentance. Can we put that up, Logan? I think there's, yeah, consider repentance. Are there folks in my heart, in your heart, who we are bitter towards? in our church or, or out of our church. It doesn't matter if they're not in our church. God can't grow flowers in toxic soil, <laughs> no matter who those flowers are, are supposed to be for, you know? I might feel great about all you guys, but through some of the trouble that we've gone through in years past, if I'm harboring bitterness, God's not gonna grow flowers for you <laughs> out of that soil. I gotta work on that. You know, so, so there might be bitterness or unforgiveness that's just ruling you, anger that's ruling you, could be in your own family. Just, it could be a nagging thing you have to constantly, you know, some sins we just take care of and they, 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 they just tend to be big victories we have overnight. Some sins we just gotta keep working on. We gotta keep fighting with our new creature, Holy Spirit power, <laughs> you know, for a long time. But, but you know who you are, you know how your heart works. But just asking yourselves, is there contempt? Is there anger? Is there unforgiveness? that I'm letting stay in my heart. I'm not opposing it with the Holy Spirit and with my new man and my new woman. And while we're at it, how about you and the Lord? Are there sins? They may not be horizontal relational sins against others, but are there sins of time wasting, laziness, addiction, pornography? Are there sins in your life that are sucking the life out of your relationship with Jesus so you've really got nothing to love each other with? You've got no a very, very lukewarm or anemic experience with Jesus because of what you're holding on to. So you don't have a lot to give other people. Well, I would just say, if that's a real situation for you, that's a great place to start. When it comes to loving, bring that stuff to the Lord. Confess it to him. Pray for his cleansing. Confess it to other people. And then I would suggest, or consider confessing to other people. Then I would suggest the next place for us to go after repenting is praying. Praying in, in two ways. You know, one prayer is simply, God, help me with this. Give me a love for my brothers and sisters that looks like your love. Just, God, I, I just need you to create this more in me, more in me, help me do that. And then consider asking the Lord to show you specifically who he may be asking you to move towards. If, if he might be calling you. Now, your, your dance card may be full, you know, Kevin, you might be a care group leader who just feels like with Andrew, with Laura, and with the people in your care group, whoo, I, I got enough on my plate right now. For, for others, it might be, it might not be that way. It, it might be, God, who do you want me to love that I'm not loving? Show me. I, I don't feel like I have those relationship of, of intimate pursuit of loving one another. How might you be calling me to lay my life down? It might be my time. It might be my emotions. It might be my money, my attention, my prayers for my brothers and sisters. You know, consider the one another's of scripture and ask if there is a one another for you to be one anothering. <laughs> there's a lot of one another's that you can think through. There's sharing your goods materially. There's comforting. There's praying. There's counseling. Some people may need your counsel. Some people need your teaching. Some people need your spiritual gifts. 
You might not know what they are. Begin to ask God, what are my gifts that I need to pour out to others? Some people might need to hear, they might need to confess their sins to someone. Confessing your sins to each other as a one another. Forgiving each other, encouraging, exhorting. In some cases, you might need to love people by warning them, rebuking them. That's a real ministry. That's very delicate, dangerous ministry, but it's a ministry that we are called to be open to the Lord to lead us into. Let's do so with a spirit of gentleness, he says. And then lastly, I would just, I, I would say, well, let me, before I leave this one, I, I think it's fair too to ask the Lord, you know, I, I'm not a very administrative person, shock. <laughs> But, but some of you guys might be more organizationally oriented and administratively oriented, and that might be a prayer for you. Lord, show me if there's a way that I can help this church more broadly, or I can see a need in this church, a way that maybe organizationally we could do a better job loving people. I think about children's ministry. Is, is Chris and Jessica Schulenberger here? Chris is here somewhere. That's a ministry that, man, how can I love Amanda's kids? How can I help this church love Amanda's kids? How can I help this church love Albert's kids and Jen's kids and Holly's kid? Because I think Logan's done with children's ministry. But, <laughs> but, um, but I don't know about Quinn. Is he done? Quinn, there you are. But I, I'm just saying, you know, that might be an area where, where the Lord is calling you to lay your life down in a way that you weren't aware of. It might be something else. It might be something else. But I'm just saying, I think it's okay to ask the Lord, not just about specific persons, but about potential ministry where I can love in a ministerial fashion with my gifts. And then the last thing I would just say is, and this is so important, this is where really, the, for me, the battle can be lost on a day-to-day basis. It's so crucial. Trust. 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 I'm saying this to myself. Trust that God wants to help you and help me with this. Trust that he wants to meet you in this more than you know. This is his heart for our church. Is he going to ignore our appeals to him to help us love each other? He died for this. The father crushed his son for this. Is he going to leave us hanging? As we talked about last week, it is through trusting his promises that we become partakers of the divine nature. And it's through continuing to trust him that we receive the spirit's strength to grow. So, so consider his words, his promises in his very word to sustain you in this. you in an irritable situation with someone. He died for that situation. He poured out his blood for that challenge you're in. He rose from the dead to give you power to resist anger and irritation and paying back evil for evil. He made you a new creature so that you can pay back good He will deliver you. He will give you the grace and mercy you need. He will. He will provide a way out so that you may escape when sin calls you to beat the other person down. And when you do fail, he will forgive you when you confess. Folks, we have to believe these things. Even if we have to say, I believe, help my unbelief, we have to believe these things. That is how we receive the cleansing, the power. You know, as I say before, there are some name it claimants that I, I think are really dangerous. The health and wealth gospel is, is you gotta be really careful. But there are some name it claimants that you better name and claim in his word when he promises something in his word. You, you, when he promises mercy, grace, power to love, wisdom in a trial. We believe him. So I, I think that's it for this morning. Next week, Lord willing, I don't see it perfectly now, but I think we're going to try to talk a little bit more flesh and bones what this might look like. But could I just call Jared and the team to come up and we're going to sing to the Lord and, and pray this song that God might do this work in us, strengthen us in this. Thank you guys.